What is up, guys? Thank you all for checking out this edition of New Generation Sports Talk. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We have a wonderful show lined up for you guys today. We'll be talking plenty of NBA playoffs. We are in the semifinal rounds of each two Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. Most of these series now shifting to the opposing team, the, 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 the lower-seeded team's home court after these first two games being played at the higher seeds home courts. We'll talk about the Grizzlies-Warriors series. We'll break down the Celtics Bucks series. We'll also talk some Sixers Heat. That series right now, we're recording this podcast as Game Three is wrapping up. Game Two, I'm sorry, is wrapping up. The Heat look like they're on their way to another decisive victory. Probably won't go too much into the Suns Mavs only because of the timing of this podcast, but we'll still get plenty of your NBA playoff fill on this podcast. We'll also talk about the latest regarding Ben Simmons. He is now expected to be out three to four months because of back surgery. What the hell happened to it? for a situation to go from him being ready to play in the playoffs and now being out for four months, something doesn't smell right to me. We'll get to the bottom of it later on in this podcast episode. And NIL and transfer rules, they continue to upend college sports. We'll tell you about some of the latest stuff happening with the NIL and transfer portal stuff. And if something has to be done from the NCAA's point of view. So plenty of stuff to get to on this podcast. Joining me, is my co-host Kendall Stewart rejoining me is Kendall Stewart given that he has not been with us for the last several weeks a lot of exciting stuff happening in Kendall's life one reason why you won't hear us speaking too much about the NFL draft is because a a, a conflict of interest has now entered the surface when it comes to Kendall's landscape because of his new exciting journey uh, with his career so of course Kendall is still with us and he'll continue to be with us on new generation sports new generation hero talk but uh nfl draft stuff we'll try to get to maybe at some point maybe later this week or next week but nonetheless kendall really excited to have you back on really excited for uh, everything you're doing right now and this is going to be a blast yeah yeah i'm glad uh glad to be here uh excited to talk uh excited to talk about this nba playoff stuff should be exciting no doubt. I know you're excited because the Celtics are indeed still playing in the postseason. I'm not sure how much uh, of the last episode you got to listen to, but the last one I recorded, which was a solo edition of New Generation Sports Talk, I mentioned how the Celtics were at that point up 2-0 on Brooklyn and how I was very surprised at the amount of people that thought that Brooklyn was in perfectly fine shape and <laughs> heading back home, being down 0-2 because the first two games were close and Sure enough, now Brooklyn is at home, and now they're trying to figure out what's going to happen with Ben Simmons. So, boy, does just a couple of weeks change the whole landscape for several franchises. So, we'll talk a little bit more about the Celtics and the, and the Nets later on in this episode. But let's begin talking about the Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors. With their season on the brink, Ja Morant, he put on a spectacular performance to lead the Memphis Grizzlies to a Game 2 victory over the Golden State Warriors, even it up what has been a very chippy series. Draymond Green was ejected in game one for an, a flagrant foul to Brandon Clark. He was also then bloodied uh, by an elbow in game two. Then you had Gary Payton, the second, who broke his elbow on a flagrant two foul from Dylan Brooks. He got ejected from the game. Steve Kerr, blasted Dylan Brooks saying that it was a dirty play and that he had broke the NBA code by attack, you know, going after a guy 
who had, you know, been defenseless and up in the air and causing him to be severely injured. So very exciting series. These have been some big-time games between Morant's game two heroics to the game one heroics of Clay Thompson. This, I think, has certainly been the most exciting series thus far. But, Kendall, as this series heads to the Bay Area, which team do you feel like should feel they're in a better positioning as of right now, given everything that's happened, given what the Grizzlies, you know, losing home court advantage, but still decide still find a way to get game two. And then you got the Warriors who did get the split, but now just lost Gary Payton a second for probably the rest of the playoffs, but at the very least, definitely the rest of the series. Um, who, who should feel better? Yeah. Uh, between the two, I mean, right now for me, I think the team that should feel better—that's hard to say. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, I wouldn't go down the path of either team should feel great right now because it's a tough series, and you know, I don't think either one of these teams feels great. Uh, you know, because they know that the other team on the, the team on the other side is not uh, not to take lightly. So, um, you know, I guess I mean Golden State is the favorite. Uh, and I would guess I would say they would, they should still be the favorite. So I guess Golden State should feel good because, look, you know they they were the they you know they 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 took home court advantage, and we know uh, the Chase Center is not an easy place to to win. Um, you know Memphis has to now steal one back in Golden State to have a chance to win this series. So, um, I, for right now, I would say Golden State. Um, but I don't think Memphis should should feel like they're out of it or hit the panic button uh, on any level because they could certainly win one more game. Um, so yeah, that for me, I, I would say it's 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 not necessarily uh, it's not a panic situation for either. But I don't think either one of them is feeling great right now. Just to, to talk about the Memphis side of it and perhaps them not feeling as great despite that game to win. I listened, shout out to the Inside the NBA crew, the best post-game show in sports history, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Charles Barkley mentioned how when you consider Klay Thompson and Steph Curry shot 16 for 44 in Game 2, and that Desmond Bain, who clearly is going through some kind of back issue, continues to give them nothing, and that it took you know a John Morant super Herculean performance for them to it really felt like it almost steal game two that perhaps they should be a little more concerned because a lot of those factors, especially with the Warriors shooting so poorly, you can't bank on heading into, you know, the Bay area. Do you buy that notion or do you feel like that, that, that Bain and some of these other guys that maybe haven't played as great will turn it the corner when they get to the Bay area? Um, I mean, you can't really bank on you can't really bank on guys that haven't played well all of a sudden turning around. I understand that you know you're talking about you know a guy that's been that's played well all season. He's had, he had a great season, yeah. So <laughs> you know, on the on the one hand, you could you obviously are glass half full, saying oh he'll get back to to form, but you know we've seen it throughout. If I mean just throughout NBA history, guys that struggle in the playoffs, you know. They don't automatically just get out of the slump because they're good players. You know, uh, Paul George had a postseason where he's bad for almost the entire time. And, 
you know, Julius Randle last year had a series where he was bad the entire time. So, I mean, we saw Kevin Durant, you know, never really got out of whatever funk he was in uh, last last series as well. So, um, I, you know, you don't want to bank on Desmond Bain figuring it out, but they're going to need I him. Mean, they're going to have to, I feel like. I don't yeah. know. I mean, you know, I mean, to like, me, like, yeah, go ahead. You know, I was going to say, like, you can't you can't chalk it up like, oh, he'll figure it out. But like you said, I, I think they're going to need him to figure it out. So that's where that's where they're at at this point. Yeah, I mean, look, Desmond Bain, I think, has been one of the biggest unsung heroes of the NBA season. He's been a remarkable player. I think that he is catapulting himself potentially into being maybe a future all-star given his leap this year. You know, John Morant giving Desmond Bain his most improved player award that he had won over Desmond Bain, which I thought was a pretty cool gesture. Bain certainly probably would have gotten my vote if they would have voted. You go from nine points your rookie year to 18 points your second year, a team that won 50-plus games, and, and you're the starting shooting guard. Like, that, that's a that's a, that's a great season. And I, I don't know what's wrong. I mean, I know what's wrong. They're saying it's his back. I don't know when this happened or why this has become such an issue recently, but you go three for ten in game one, and you go two for seven in game two. I think Memphis is very lucky to have won either of those two games with those performances because Dylan Brooks also didn't play well in game one and then he didn't really play in game two. He was, he was ejected in like the first quarter. So they, they, they did kind of a high wire act that I don't know what to make of whether or not they should feel concerned or not. Cause Dylan Brooks is going to play in game three for what we know. I am, we have not seen anything in regards to a suspension and, if they wanted to suspend them, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't go crazy. Like I, I would be okay with this because I was so crazy with Draymond Green getting to you know his ejection. Uh, a flagrant two ejection in a first quarter plus a suspension is a lot, but the guy did break his elbow, so you know, I kind of is what it is. I I can't stand this this new rule about taking into account that what happened to the guy. I, I know. I agree. I, I agree. mean. It, it's it's so it, I want to say it is not necessarily subjective, but it's just it to me it's like a bad way of just looking at things, you know. And I, I mean that's how our legal system. Yeah, but I say that unfortunately that's 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 just the way our, our brains are, you know, kind of you uh, know you know they're uh, you know programmed for lack of a better term, you know, is is right. know, punishment's got to fit the crime. So if the crime yeah, is I mean, you you severely injure somebody, then the punishment is more severe. That's how everything. Almost every facet of American society is so. It's not surprising that it permeates with how they kind of how a lot of people have viewed these situations when you have a flagrant foul and a guy get injured. Yeah, I mean, I just I've seen guys do things far more dangerous than what Dylan Brooks did, and guys the guys don't get hurt, and if maybe still a flagrant or even a flagrant two, but we're not talking about a suspension. Um, so I I mean, and I know it's the playoffs also, so whenever it's the playoffs, the conversation of should this guy be suspended becomes ratcheted up like these sorts of fouls happen in the regular season and we're not talking about we're not having 10 minute debates on should x player be suspended because <laughs> nobody really cares that much i mean the only time we did was grayson allen you know because that was a very high profile right. uh very dirty that situation was, was a multiple offender who would uh yeah caught, exactly caught was, yet yeah. again yes on national tv yeah um so yeah no i mean do it, I mean, do I think 
and, and you know, Steve Kerr, uh, you know, I mean, I didn't like when he was doing it with Marcus Smart on the whole Curry, you know, Smart diving at Curry's knees, and he did this whole shtick about, you know, Smart's a dirty player and this and that. Now he's doing it with Dylan Brooks. I, I don't know. I'm just I, – I, I, I mean, you know me. I've been someone who has defended Kerr a lot in this on this podcast and just in general. I think that he's an outstanding coach. I thought he was very heavy-handed yesterday, and I very I heavy-handed. For, it's I, guy coaches Draymond Green. I'm not even saying that's, Draymond I was going to say the player. same thing. I mean, he coaches Draymond Green. I don't. I just don't. You can't run around talking about guys being dirty, and your guys smacking people in the face, and and like I mean, and I'm not. And again, I'm not even a Draymond hater, but like he is who he is. He's a physical right. player who sometimes will go above and beyond kind of the rules of the game to get an advantage. Sometimes he'll he'll lay an extra. You know, electric little force. You know, he's an enforcer. We know what Draymond's game is about, and and to sort of sort of run into this whole oh, you, there's guys being dirty and then not being dirty. I don't know. I, I just if you were coaching a different team and you didn't have nobody like Draymond on your team, I probably would say okay, yeah, he's upset. A very key player on his team, who's an excellent excellent defensive player, just an excellent overall hustle player for them, and he was outstanding game one. Is now out for like indefinitely, and and he, and he had a pretty like traumatic injury. You break your elbow. That's not like a you know sprained ankle or anything like that. Like that's pretty not wild. Fun. Like so so I I get the frustration, and I get a little bit you protect your guy, but you know I think the reason why some people don't like Steve Kerr is because he has this very like holier than thou feel to him, and that's what I felt in that press conference yesterday. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, I mean, I, I mean, the series has been great. It's been outstanding. Uh, it, this has been some outstanding, outstanding basketball. I, th- I think it's been crazy to see, you know, Memphis has had to pretty much learn, you know, on the job, essentially, what playoff basketball is about. Because I don't know how much they really learned from that Minnesota series. I guess they learned about resilience. You know, none of them saying that, you know, you got to play 48 minutes because we saw them come back from so many you know, bad deficits to, to somehow win those games or sometimes at least make the games competitive, even though they were down by a lot and they lost. I think besides that, they made a lot of boneheaded plays in those series that didn't really hurt them because they ended up winning those that series. Here with this series, it's like, you know, they're understanding. They're not getting, you know, a second chance, you know, or allowing second chance uh, opportunities uh, costly turnover, the bad shot selection, like it is absolutely killing them because the Golden State Warriors are coming back and they are making them pay every time. And I think Memphis in these first two games, aside from the the poor play from Brooks and from uh, from Bain, I think they've actually you know Jaw's been outstanding. This is this has been, been the best two games he's played I think in the postseason, and they still have like been like you know skin of their teeth kind of games and, and the game one game in which they lost in heartbreaking fashion. So watching this young team kind of learn on the fly about what playoff basketball is all about has been really joyous. I think seeing Ja tap into that like Super Saiyan level that we all know he's capable of. We kind of saw that when they played against Golden State in the play-in last year. But to see him do it in the actual playoffs in a must-win game was just spectacular. I mean, he's, you know, I feel like I don't know what it is, but anytime there's a hot young new star, there's always... With all the fans that come and love the guy, there's always then a, a, a you know a, a banner of of critics that also seem to kind of emerge and talk about how the guy actually isn't that good. And I've actually seen a little bit of that 
from uh, the, the anti John Morant people, which I don't know how you could be anti John Morant, but man, he put on an absolute show. This is going to continue to be a very competitive series. Before the postseason began, I had these teams playing in the second round. And I actually had Memphis winning this series. I feel I do not feel good about that pick right now. I'll be honest. I don't feel good about that pick. If I had to do it over, I would not pick Memphis to win this series. Now, before even game one. But that's why they play the games, man. We're going to continue to follow this series, man. It's been great. Great shot making on both sides. Big time play by both sides. I expect this to continue to be a very competitive and long series. Let's talk, Kendall, about your Boston Celtics. So Celtics in the Bucs, they traded blowout wins in the first two games of their Eastern Conference semifinal matchup. Game two saw Jalen Brown score 25 first half points, while Giannis Antetokounmpo was held to a two for twenty, a two for twelve um, first half. The Boston Celtics buried them with threes in game two. Very different than what happened in game one, where you saw Giannis just kind of play Donkey Kong on the rim, and the Celtics unable to make shots on the perimeter, also being unable to, you know, find any kind of success in the paint. Very different from what they had seen in the series against Brooklyn. So Kendall, of course, is the resident Celtic fan on this podcast. So I think you'll get great insight from him in terms of the Celtic perspective. So as this series shifts to Milwaukee, what do you want to see from the Celtics in order for them to take back home court? Uh, I mean, the easy answer is just keep doing what you did in game two uh, and not game one. But no, I mean, look, game two is going to be hard to replicate. I mean, Grant Williams barely missed a shot. Jalen Brown barely missed a shot. Peyton Pritchard wasn't missing. Like, you know, you're not going to get that high level of shot making from, you know, again, guys like Grant Williams and Peyton Pritchard on the road as consistently as we did, as we saw it in that game too, uh, this weekend, but, or earlier this week. But, you know, I still, I mean, I look, I feel good as a Celtics fan. I didn't, I didn't feel terrible after game one. Um, I know that there was a lot of sentiment that, you know, maybe people had miscalculated this series and um, and in terms of the outlook and and, and predictions. But it's a hard adjustment, I think, for the Celtics team going from a a Brooklyn team that uh, in a Brooklyn series that was so low intensity to then ratchet up against one of the more high intensity, physical, tough you know, mentally strong teams in the in the NBA, in the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks. It's a hard thing to do. And I think we saw a little bit of that um, in game one, uh, that the Celtics almost weren't ready for that kind of game. Yeah. Um, and so in game two, they obviously we saw they were a lot more prepared uh, to take Milwaukee's punches and throw them right back. Um and I, and I mean, look, I think if we're just if we're being honest on paper, the Celtics should win this series. Uh, I won't say easily, but they should win this series. I mean, with the Bucks wow. without Chris Middleton, um, that's you really feel on paper that you guys should definitely beat the, the Bucks. That's without Chris Middleton, yeah, not without a doubt. Wow, yeah, it's not even. I mean, it's not even. I mean, look, Giannis is a great player, obviously, mm-hmm. um, but you know, he's. I mean, he's stoppable. He's beatable, and then. When you when you go past Giannis, you know Middleton is such an important player for this team. Um, when games get tight, you know he is 
their closer. Um, he is their bucket getter in a lot of those situations, um, especially when you're able to double Giannis. Um, so now Drew Holiday has to take a, take on a much bigger role offensively, which he's capable of, and he showed he's shown some of that uh, in these first two games, but. Does, what does that do to affect his defense? Um, you know, and then beyond Drew Holiday, who's always good for the most part, who's that next guy? Pat Connaughton has to step up, or Grayson Allen has to step yeah. up. You know, and 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 or Brooke Lopez obviously in the front court, or Bobby Portis in the front court. Like, you know, they need to get someone else who doesn't normally, you know, get fifteen to twenty points. They need that guy to now consistently do that more often. So. Whereas Boston, depth is not an issue. I mean, they don't have Marcus Smart, and you're still not worried about the offensive side of the ball. Um, and even without Smart, the defense was still suffocating. Um, so, you know, I yeah, from a talent perspective, Boston should win this series, but they got to be able to make shots. And game one, they weren't able to make shots. In game two, they were. If that trend of them hitting their perimeter jump shots continues, then I don't think that they... I don't think that this series will be even a seven game series. Celtics made 23s, 20 out of 43 in game two. I think they made like eight in the first quarter of that game. And that's kind of what happened. That was kind of the story of the game. You know, you broke their draw in the first quarter and it was going to be very hard for the Bucks. Though they did make a, a pretty valiant comeback in the third quarter to make it interesting, but it was going to be very tough for the Bucks to really make a comeback once you give up that many threes early on. And the Celtics certainly have offensive firepower. And we and we saw that in the Brooklyn series and and we've seen that, at least we saw that in game two. This was a very interesting series. This is another series where I would have definitely had the 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 Celtics losing. I would have had the Bucks advancing. And I'm not a I, I don't know if I'm I agree necessarily that like the Bucks are should get these guys out of here on paper. Only because I, while the Celtics are an excellent defensive team and they do have some offensive firepower, I'm not as like I'm not as like convinced as you are that like Giannis still can't just completely just dominate and take over the series at any moment in time. We saw him do it against Phoenix last year. We saw him do it against Chicago in just the last series. I, I think he's, he's the kind of player where you kind of just gotta hope and pray that he he just is off. Like he was kind of in game two. Your defense could do all they can, can and, and your defense is certainly make an impact and and make it more difficult on him. But kind of how he plays is more on him than really anything else. So so for that reason, and me feeling Giannis is the best player in the series, I still would have leaned Milwaukee even without Chris Middleton. But the one thing I did see in these first two games, and that included uh, the Bucks win, is the Bucks against the Celtics come to me very clearly have an offensive ceiling the first game i think they scored was like, like 101 points i believe uh and the last yeah. game, 109 109 points oh no yeah you're right 101 points right 101 in game one and then you know they gave they only scored 86 in game two they gave up 109 in game two that those are very comfortable numbers for the boston Celtics to live to live with in terms of what the bucks can do offensively you know, that is really kind of where they were living with the Brooklyn Nets. And the Nets were even scoring a little bit more. And the Celtics had no problem, obviously, with the Brooklyn Nets. They they swept them. So the Bucks had a great game one, only scored 101. They had a terrible game two, and they scored 86. 
okay, let's say they go home. Let's say that game one performance they have, let's say they get a game where they get 110 because, you know, some of those other guys start making some shots. They feel more comfortable. Even, again, if they live in that 110 range, that's right where they they were, again, where the Celtics were pretty much with the Nets series. If that's where the series is going to live, Boston's going to have a great chance to win because I think Boston has more firepower than, than the Bucks with the current situation without Chris Middleton. With Chris Middleton, it's a lot, a lot different ballgame. But I think the, the Bucs are going to have to find a way to, uh, I think, increase the pace a little bit more. And I think they're going to have to find a way to, they got to limit the three. I mean, because they know that the, the Celtics can't really exploit them in the interior. You know, Brooke Lopez is such an excellent rim protector, excellent defender. We already know what Giannis is as a defender. I thought the Celtics, you talked about the speed of the game and the intensity of the game. I, I To be honest, I, I thought it was beyond that in terms of the adjustment in game one. I thought that the Celtics had a series prior, previously where the defensive players they were playing against were so bad that you could literally just speed dribble left or speed dribble right past your man. And you didn't have to worry about any help defender making you make a very difficult play, whether it be on a kickout or at the rim. I don't know how many times I saw Jason Tatum just blow by his guy and nobody get in front of him him literally be able to put his head underneath the rim for layups. Him, Brown, Smart, all of them. Or when someone finally did get in front of them, the defense was so compromised that you had shooters wide open everywhere. This is a very different ball game when you go into the paint. If you're able to even beat your man, if it's someone like Drew Holiday, but if you're able to somehow beat a guy like that, and then you go into the paint and Giannis is waiting for you, and then you got these other guys that are actually attached to their man and actually are paying attention to their rotations, that's a big big difference and i think we saw that adjustment in game one not happen which is why they they got you know they pretty much you know got handled in game one i think game two what i love to see from them was the the desperation they played with and they seemed to be more comfortable with just the the size and just the, the size and athleticism that that milwaukee can bring this also i think is going to be a very long series the one thing i love about watching playoff basketball or rather i don't love is just like you said, kind of the overreactions you get from game to game. So game one of both the Bucks series and this uh, and, and the and the and the Grizzlies series, you know, everything was just like hysteria about how like the home teams that lost were just in this massive trouble, and that you know you know this is like you know maybe we're going to see a very quick series. You gotta understand, man. The NBA playoffs is a soap opera. It is a journey. It is a marathon, not a sprint. It is not going to be a situation where. A team wins one game and all of a sudden they're going to lay down. Not in the second round. You know, not with these teams. These are all very good teams. These are all very capable teams. The margins are a lot smaller than even they look even in blowouts. So you can't trip about one loss. So I, I, I was surprised that people were, you know, dancing on the Celtics' grave after game one. I was surprised people were dancing on the Grizzlies' grave after game one. These are both going to be two very long series. I'm very excited to see uh, what continues to happen. I think right now, if I want to be either team, I think I'd still rather want to be the Celtics because I have all my guys relatively healthy. I think Marcus Smart will probably play soon, if not the next game. Whereas the Bucs don't have Chris Mills, and I don't know when we're going to see him. So, so, so long as they don't got Chris Mills, I wouldn't want to be the Bucs. But, but for the, but for the, but for the, but I still feel like if you got Giannis, you still got to feel good about your chances, which is why I would have still picked the Bucs to win this series. Fun basketball all around, man. It's been really fun basketball. What has not been fun has been seeing this 
Miami uh, Philadelphia series, which I know the NBA league offices must be sick to the stomach watching these games because these games are unwatchable. I was trying, man, and I am still trying to watch these Sixers games without Joel Embiid, but they're non-competitive against this Miami Heat team. And when you think about the reputation and the resume that James Harden brings, you don't feel like they should be completely non-competitive because we think of James Harden as one of the greatest scorers of his generation, uh, an elite player in this league. So you think, okay, you got you don't got JoJo for two games. You know, all you got to do is get one. You think maybe the Sixers could put together one performance in one of these two games. That's very competitive. And I'm not only say they're going to win, but that James Harden goes crazy one of these games. He gets 35, and, you know, the Sixers fight. And maybe they still won, or maybe the, the, Buc- no, the Heat are able to kind of stave off uh, a, a, a late surge, and they're able to keep get these first two games. We didn't see any of that from James Harden. And that's going to lead to, I think, a very intriguing question, Kendall, when it comes to this offseason of what is James Harden worth? Because it's not like he's worth less. He, he is uh, a guy who is a, a, he's a solid point guard. You know, we know all the assist numbers he racks up. He's an excellent passer. He has an excellent court vision. But, I mean, as a scorer, he's lost it, man. I mean, he, it's like watching a pitcher, Kendall, that you've seen and you're used to watch. You're used to this guy throwing 99, 100 miles an hour. No, you're you're used to like just like this guy is just being dominant, overpowering his opponents, and then like you know some injuries, old age, and all of a sudden it's like watching Nolan Ryan on the mound throwing eighty nine, and trying to get by on people with like you know with smoking mirrors and slop. Like it's hard to kind of watch James Harden play when he, he. I think everybody knows. He knows. The team knows. The Heat know. Everybody in the arena knows that if the Sixers are going to have any chance in the series. He's going to have to be hardened going into his Houston bag. And he's not even trying. But it's like he's not trying because he knows he's not capable. And for Philly, we'll talk about what they gave up in, a, in very shortly because we'll talk about Ben Simmons. But I think considering what they thought they were getting, which was another elite player to play alongside Joel Embiid, I think they're going to have a big decision to make in this offseason regarding how much this guy is actually worth and what you do after the season, because he's not going to get younger. He's not going to get more spry. The James Harden you have now is probably not going to get any better than he is. And the guy you have right now is like your third, he should be like your third or fourth best player probably on a team trying to win a championship, not the number two guy. Yeah. Um, yeah he's certainly playing like it right now. I that's mean, what he looks like. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know, I, I said it to you a couple weeks ago. Right now, he looks like, and I mean, right now he's playing terrible, but just like the Harden that we've seen in Philly and the Harden we've seen all year kind of sort of reminds me of like Allen Iverson on the Nuggets, where like he's still a really good player uh, in a pinch, but you sort of see the cliff is coming. Uh, oh, it's, oh it's, and, it's here, Kendall. I think it ain't coming, man. He's peering right over that Grand Canyon looking down. Being like, wow, yeah, that's a it, look, steep I don't want to. That's what he's looking yeah, at. I'm, I'm, I don't I'm calling it like it is. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not gonna expose myself to uh, a bad take if, if Harden <laughs> turns it around. But, um, but it's, it's, it, that's how it looks right now. Um, he's, 
he he's a really good. I mean, he's re- obviously again, like you said, he's a really good, still a really good passer. Still knows how to run a team. Uh, still knows how to get to the line. But like he, that used to never be. It used to never be a question of how much can James Harden put up on any any given night. Right. Um, and now, I mean, what he hasn't had. What, what's the stat? He hasn't had twenty. In a playoff game, yeah, he finally he had, had twenty. Yeah, finally had twenty. He had twenty tonight, right on the dot. Yeah, he had twenty tonight. Yeah, it took him ten games to get twenty. Last ten playoff games, I mean, it's it's bad. But and yeah, I didn't have forty once this season. Um, I you know it, it, when you're talking about the future, um. Because this series, honestly, just hinges on <laughs> can they get Joel Embiid back. Yeah, if Joel Embiid doesn't play, then they're going to get swept. Yeah, it's, 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 it's over. You know, um, regardless of how many games it takes, you know, there's no way they're going to win the series. But if he does come back, obviously that, that, that changes the, dyna- the dynamic. Um, and we'll see how he looks, And obviously. But, um, but in terms of the long term, I think Philly, right now you're in a position where you're not – you're, I don't want to say you're kind of screwed, but Daryl Morey knows that the smart thing, the smart money wouldn't be putting a five-year max contract on James Harden at this stage of his career. Absolutely. What I think will happen is I think that they will offer him a short-term max uh, or just hope that he opts in. Um, but I don't think they're going to offer him the full five years. What's interesting, Kendall, is I almost feel like he's going to – actually, I keep talking about the Sixers having an interesting choice. He's going to have an interesting choice because do you opt in and just take the max money that he's getting for another year, knowing that the next contract perhaps isn't a max? Or do you roll the dice and say, no, I'm going to opt out and bank that either the Sixers or someone else is going to offer that max money for multiple years? It's very weird because he is is very close to the guy that's going to be giving him or at least in charge of, of, of putting together parameters of his contract. Of course, Josh Harris is going to give him the money, but Maury is the guy that's going to recommend the contract for James Harden to Harris that when they offer it to him and then he'll sign it. Like, he's going to have an interesting decision because I don't know I don't know if I'm him via that. Like, I don't, I don't know what is... Uh, now, he knows better than me, obviously, because he's with these people. He knows what they're thinking more than I would, obviously. But I don't know what's... what's if they get swept in this series, or even if they don't, let's say Joel comes back and Joel looks like Joel, or at least close to it, and they make this competitive, but they still lose. They're down 2-0, so even if MB does come back, it's going to be a steep climb. They got to win four out of five in order to win this series. I don't know what that postseason or you know offseason outlook is really looking like for James Harden in terms of what the Philly fans want. Um what the organization will want from him. It's like crazy watching these games, Kendall, and like seeing these like shot totals, like, you know, 12 shots tonight, uh, 11, or excuse me, um, the last series, you know, against Toronto, 12 shots to close, 11 shots, 17 shots, 13, 9, 17. I mean, he's just not being aggressive. This night, this, this, this series tonight, 15 shots Monday in game one, 13 shots. Like that's just not a guy who's, and he's he's putting them shot attempts up on a you know a thirty nine forty percent clip. That's what he's shooting for the postseason. Like, yeah, I mean, and this is not a small sample size. He's played eight games in this postseason. 
It's not like, oh, he's played only one or two games. Let's see how this is going. And also, this is how he's played pretty much since he got to Philly. He had a good first, like, two weeks. And then this is all we've seen from him pretty much since then. They'd be crazy to offer this guy four or five years max. I think they'd be crazy to offer him three years in a max. I, I mean, to me, he looks like the kind of guy that the, 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 the brand of basketball he's played is very taxing. And it really does look like he's long in the tooth. And, they, and it's not, it's not just that they're gonna they're gonna sign on to him long term. You could be seeing a steep decline. It's and not just what the, is, what is he what what is he as a guy who's okay maybe kind of a not a highly efficient scorer, but he still can run a team and get ten assists. Like I don't know what I don't know what that guy is. Like I couldn't even tell you. But it, he's a, he's like a, he's just a unique player. It's almost like a it's like a slightly more aggressive Rondo in his prime. Or but like no def but imagine Rondo played no defense like yeah what is that guy worth I couldn't tell you yeah and it's you know his decline you know it's not just connected to the style of play being taxing but also he's a guy that's played he's been an Iron Man his whole career he's played every that's game so. he's played every minute every minute of the game he's so he talks about that style of play he's pounding the ball in the ground every minute of every game. All you know that, not to mention obviously the bumps and the you know the, to draw those fouls. You got to go to the rim. You got to take yeah. a, a few bumps a game. Yeah. That, that like you said, that's gonna wear on you. And I, I don't know if that's what's happening here, but um, but it's awful timing for him to to have these struggles now because like you said, he's sitting free agency, and I mean if he opts in, he's only gonna be a year older. You know, I mean, is, is he still going to get that five years next year? I mean, I still think somebody would give it to him. If he opted out, he's not getting maybe the five years, but unless it was a signing trade. But um, but I feel like somebody will still give him the max. Like Gordon Hayward got the max or got like $100 million. And people, when he opted out in Boston, people were like, what? Opting out? I'm like, <laughs> Why? What, what is he going to get in the open market? He ends up getting a hundred million dollar deal. So I just feel like the NBA landscape though is different. Given so many I mean, these teams, teams, so many teams are over the cap now. Only teams the, are smarter really, now, only but really bad yeah. teams are, are have max kind of money. So now you're trying to orchestrate a sign and trade. We just saw Philly give up two first round picks for James Harden. Like who the hell sees what Philly did and thinks that oh uh, we should sign up for that kind of same deal and. You no, know, multiple years in a max contract. I don't. I don't. I'm not saying no team won't do it because you said it only takes one team. But I hope that ain't my team. I'll say that much. Sacramento feels like the one, well, given Monty McNair's connection to Harden. But I don't know. Yeah, like you said, it's hard to pinpoint. But uh, ultimately, I think he still stays in Philly. Like I said, I think he ends up getting a short term max. Do you, are you are you sold on the Heat as a true? Maybe this seems like a stupid question, but I don't feel like we've talked about the Heat a lot on this podcast. To be honest, are you sold on them as a legit championship contender, given what you've seen, or do you feel like you? I know we didn't talk about it on air, but I know you were not bullish on the Hawks at all in that first round series. Like you thought that the Heat were going to watch them, which is what they did. I thought that'd be a very long, potentially seven game series, which it was not. This series is a little weird because going into it, I think we thought it'd be competitive, but then, you know, Embiid broke his face and got a concussion, and now here we are, two games, zero, going back to Philly with 
uncertainty about whether or not Embiid returns. How sold are you on the Heat as a legit title contender? Because they look very good right now. I mean, there's no question about it. They've pretty much dominated this postseason so far. But are you questioning the competition they've faced? Um, the Heat do look good. I mean, and, and, and when you're in the playoffs competition, you don't – I mean, look, it's the NBA, so everybody's good, obviously. Then you're talking about the NBA playoffs. And it's like right. yeah. they're not playing Houston. Uh, you know, they're not playing right. Jalen Green and Kevin Porter. So, yeah, I mean, if a team is playing really well in the playoffs, then it, you can't really discount it or um, try and disqualify it based off competition. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think the Heat are playing at a really high level. Um, as a Celtics fan, this sort of reminds me of when they were in the bubble and they were playing really well, but people were still only talking about the Celtics as the team to beat in the East. And then we saw what happened in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, so they worry me almost more than Milwaukee does right now, uh, given that Chris Middleton's not there, which is obviously, again, still a big deal. Maybe I'm overreacting to that loss, but regardless, um, yeah, this Miami team is good. Uh, again, from a talent perspective, you would think the Celtics may edge them out, but regardless, um, you know it's not, and it's not just the Jimmy Butler show. You know, obviously, Hero's playing really well. Hero's, Duncan Robinson has been able to hit been, shots. And Hero's been balling, man. Obviously, Bam has been Bam, and Max Bruce played well. Yes. And how about know? how about uh, PJ Tucker? P.J. Tucker is giving them his defense, great. His, his shot making. I mean, yeah, he, he he's he's been a big factor as well. And Gabe Vincent, I mean, Gabe Vincent, Gabe Vincent, Trey Trey Young in game in the first series. I mean, you want to talk about putting a guy on albatross? And obviously, it's the whole Heat defensive system. But yeah, I mean, he and to talk about a guy like a guy like Max Struess, who you know is like out of the league basically and been a two way guy his whole career, and just you know thrust into the starting lineup. I don't know where he find these guys, man. You know, <laughs> it's crazy. And I mean, the, the guy again, he's been a journeyman. He was in Boston for a little bit. He was in Chicago, and now all of a sudden they're turning him into another Duncan Robinson. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So yeah, and I mean, how about, how about the, also the inspirational story of Victor Oladipo, man? I mean, this guy was pretty much cast away, and I don't think anyone really expected much from him. He was not really in the rotation get the injury to Kyle Lowry. He gets starts getting playing time. He's had some big games in these playoffs. The Heat are really good. I mean when you talk about a potential matchup in the second in the next round, whether it be the Celtics or the Bucks, those teams, I think, especially in their first round matchups, where it was to overwhelm their opponents with their depth. That's not gonna happen against the Miami Heat. I can tell you that much. We can talk about who has more talent and whatever, that and that's a fair conversation to have. But when you talk about the depth of the Miami Heat, I mean, they could go 10, 11 deep with the guys they could bring into the game. And everybody they bring into the game is bringing something to the table, whether it be defense, whether it be three-point shooting and floor spacing, whether it be uh, uh, interior presence. The Heat are a very, very good team. I do think they, they need Kyle Lowry in order to win a championship. But to get to the championship, I mean, I think that they're they're going to be a tough out. They look extremely good, and I think that even if Joel Embiid does come back, given the severity of his injuries, I don't think he's going to be enough to 
somehow turn this into a miraculous comeback for the Philadelphia 76ers. Let's quickly talk about Ben Simmons. So after failing to return to the court for the Nets this season um, and in and, and, and this postseason as well, Simmons is now set up to undergo surgery on his back. Apparently, the 6'10 All-Star has a herniated disc and the pain that he is suffering, they're hoping can be solved by undergoing this surgery. Now, Simmons refused to suit up for the Philadelphia 76ers this year, which is why he ended up getting traded to the Brooklyn Nets. He then dealt with back issues as he was trying to ramp up for a return to play with the Brooklyn Nets. Now, Simmons has reportedly been dealing with a mental health issue that has hindered his ability to get back on the court. Kendall, something is afoot here. And I've, I I felt this, and I think we talked about it a little bit off air, but I, I, I felt this as we were getting closer and closer to this Ben Simmons return. And I always tell you, I'm always listening to these folks once Ish hits the fan and then you start hearing people's hot takes on it. Sometimes hot takes and educated takes, or excuse me, hot takes are educated takes. And sometimes hot takes are not necessarily hot takes. Sometimes they're information that's being fed to some of these people that are in the media. Because these people in the media are friends or have relationships with these players and these agencies. And shout out to Jalen Rose. But I, I watched him after that game three debacle by the Brooklyn Nets against the Boston Celtics, go on SportsCenter and say, if he was Ben Simmons, why would we want to come back to play for this team? The series is over. Now he's going to be looked at as some white knight to try to save them. It doesn't make sense for him to return. All those things made sense, but it was very weird, in my opinion, to hear Jalen so pointed about Ben not playing when his whole issue has been that he's not there for his teammates and that if he had decided not to play, it would look very bad on him. Then, next day, we hear he ain't playing, he's got some issue with his back, and he's also upset that the team isn't supporting him enough through his issues with mental health and his issues that are also related to his back. Apparently, he says the mental health issues are causing his back injury to flare up. And I saw that, and I thought, okay, when you piece all of this together, the Nets were, in theory, trying to bring back a guy for not for a game three, but for a game four, when the series could be out of reach. And they're going to bring him back without ever having seen him play five-on-five basketball for the entire year. He had never played five-on-five basketball with the Sixers. He never played five-on-five basketball with the Brooklyn Nets. And he was coming off of a back injury, was, again, the word we were given. Yes. Nothing added up as to why... That player dealing with mental health issues, who has a back injury, who has not played five on five basketball all year, would be ready to go to play in a high intensity playoff game, an elimination game for your team against a bunch of wolves in the Boston Celtics. It didn't make any sense. And the fact that people kept reporting it as if it I mean, and I'm not even gonna blame I'm not even blaming the reporters. The reporters only the only saying what is being told to them. But sometimes I hate when, like, things are being told to us that obviously don't make sense. And, like, no one says, this doesn't make sense. Can someone ask more questions as to why this is happening this way? Or get his opinion on what does he really think he can do this? Like, something didn't add up. And now you hear 
a guy who apparently last week or a week and a half ago was just steps away from being able to play in a playoff game now has to be out for three to four months with back surgery. Kendall, if you ask me, what I see here is I think the Nets, they hung Ben Simmons out to dry. They set him up as a potential scapegoat for that last game. I think they were frustrated that he never got on the court because the whole deal was when he first got there was, okay, we're just trying to avoid this Philly situation. We have a Philly game in like the second week while he's here. Let's avoid that. Then we'll get him on the court. And for whatever reason, though, now we know he does have a legit back injury. He wasn't able to play. And I think they thought he was going to just push through. And he was saying, I want to be there for you guys. I'm going to try my best. And I said, I think they said, yo, your best is going to be in game four. Like, you're going to play then. Our doctors say you can play, so therefore you're going to play. And I think Ben Simmons is trying not to be a bad guy with this team. I think he was like, all right, I'm going to try my best. I want to play. I want to help you guys. And they just hung him out to dry in a way that I think is very disappointing, considering this is your player and you know what issues he is dealing with regard not even the mental health issues though those are issues they have to deal with as well but i'm talking about the issues that how the the media and how the fans view him that if he, this guy is telling you he's legit hurt he's legit in pain you're saying well you're gonna have to push through and give us something by friday <laughs> like you know what how that's gonna look if you then put out there he's gonna play and then he he can't or he says he won't play you're not actually not going to get most of the blame, at least initially. The, all the blame, as, well, as we saw, was going to be on him. I mean, he got barbecued for not going out there in Game 4 with a back that we now know needs to be surgically repaired. The Nets did a disservice to Ben Simmons with how they handled this thing. And in my opinion, I said, like I said, I think that they sold him out. And I'm not, look, I'm not some Ben Simmons stand. I'm not some Ben Simmons hero. Like, trust me, I'm not a white knight here to try to save Ben Simmons, he has had issues with how he's handled things over the last year that we have discussed plenty on this show. That's not about what this is right now. This is an injured player who somehow the Nets thought would have been ready to go to play in a playoff game, having not played 5-5 five five basketball in 365 days. And if you're the Brooklyn Nets or you're a Brooklyn Nets fan, you should be extremely concerned that your team is putting a guy out there who needs his back surgically repaired. And is willing to risk putting him out there to play against the Boston Celtics in an elimination playoff game. That's organizational malpractice. This is a terrible job by the Brooklyn Nets, Kendall. And there needs to be real answers from this front office. Because all I've seen is a clown show by this organization pretty much for all this season. And this is just kind of like, this isn't even icing on the cake. Because icing on the cake was them getting swept. This is like, this is like a prologue. Like, like, there's more to this already disastrous season for the Brooklyn Nets. I couldn't believe when I saw this today. Uh, like you said, clearly this this confirms that Simmons did have a back injury, which I think he did. I mean, people were talking about it was made up. I don't, I don't think that that's something that would be made up. Um, yeah, I never, I never didn't think he didn't have back problems because he would have, he would have played. Right. I mean, right. You know, he if, if he was fully my, healthy. My thought, my thought was, your team saying they need you. Like, okay, you're dealing with back issues. Can you go out there and play? Like, 
Like, right. Like, and, 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 and now we know he could not play. <laughs> or if he would have, it would have been potentially very bad for him. Right. Yeah. Or he just, he just wasn't going to be, he wasn't going to be 100% if he did. Yeah. Not even close. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, 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 I mean, look, I think that Simmons, uh, he was in a tough spot, obviously, once it became clear that from the media, from a media standpoint that, oh, he should be available for game four, uh, he, they put him in a bind. They they couldn't hold up their art end of the bargain when they went down three zero and put him in a situation where it would have it wouldn't have made much sense for him to play um, to play his first game in a game in a game four down three zero like I don't know I mean I understand the optics of it uh, the issue the bigger issue I had with Simmons was him not showing up. Um, I had an issue with that too, you know, because that at that point now we can't, you can't play dumb, you know, about oh look I'm I'm not playing because my back, you know it was like well, why aren't you here? Right. Oh, well, you know the chair, you know it's not really good for my back. I'm like you've been sitting on this chair for weeks. Right. Yeah. It's now, not like this is a new back yeah, injury. Now you decide, okay. I, yeah, you've known you've known that you've had this back injury for months, and now all of a sudden the chair is bothering you. So, yeah, clearly. And you could be in the arena, like and, yeah, like I'm not okay. You can't sit on the bench. We could hear you're watching the game back in the locker room while you're getting treated. We could hear something like that. Like we didn't right. even get that. You were just MIA. Yep. That was and so that yeah, was, I think, an issue. So I again, you know, we weren't born yesterday. We understand that there's a right. friction. Something's um, wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Something is wrong. Uh, and look, I mean, you talked about the Harden deal and the Simmons deal. Like this. I've never sides. seen a trade where both sides just look like they got fleeced. They fleeced each other somehow. It's crazy. It's crazy. I've, I've never seen this before. But the Sixers, I mean, I guess, I think I'd still rather be the Sixers because I could always, I could still cut bait with James Harden. I blew, I gave him two first round picks. That would kind of suck, but whatever. I could still cut bait with him. Like, they're, like, they're, whatever hellscape the Nets and Sixers are in is a similar hellscape to the, to the, to the Russell Westbrook Lakers situation. Cause just yeah. like how the South, the, the 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 Sixers and the Nets are somehow dealing with each other's problems, the Sixers dealing with an aging James Harden. Somehow they got DeAndre Jordan on the team, and he looks like a corpse out there. I'm like, man, this guy was on the Nets, and how, how did he end up on the Sixers? Sixers he wasn't even in that trade, and somehow he's there, and they gotta play him in these games, and he's getting just like blown by, like he's a statue guarding uh, Bam Adebayo. And then of course the the the, the Nets had that series, and they don't want to play Andre Drummond. And they're dealing with this Ben Simmons situation. I'm like, it, like whatever that hellscape is that they're dealing with, is the same with the Lakers, where they're looking at it and they're like, the only way we can get rid of Russ Westbrook is if we trade for John Wall. And somehow those two guys are the only people that can be traded for each other out of the entire NBA. It's a hellscape. And I don't know how we have two different ones in two different situations, but that's what I see here. It's crazy. It's, it, this is unprecedented as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so I mean, where it goes now, I mean, Simmons' trade value is, is not going to be great. He has he is zero coming, at this point. Yeah, coming off a coming off a back surgery. Yeah, with five years um, left on his contract, nobody's looking at him. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be weird. I mean, do I think he's tradable? Yeah, he's still tradable because he's still young. Um, and I tell you, what, I don't think so. 
I'll be honest. I don't think I don't think he's tradable. I, I disagree with that. Who's taking? Yeah, who's I, taking a guy with a bad. The back? Lakers would take him in a heartbeat. For what? Okay, but really, you think that they would trade? You think they would take LeBron? Ben Simmons? You think, they take, you think they take Ben Simmons? Wow. You don't I mean, think you're talking, about, LeBron... you're, talking about, you're talking about LeBron and Clutch? I'm talking about the Lakers. The Lakers uh, with the way with the way they've thrown LeBron and Clutch under the bus <laughs> for the last three weeks. I don't know that they're necessarily in a position to be like, you know, oh, we're definitely going to be taking our advice from them right now. Yeah, they take them in a heartbeat because they they don't have many oh, options. No, they for the Lakers right now. No thing. No, no. There's no such thing as a bad idea if it means trading Russell Westbrook. I mean, so he I mean, is very desperate. I I do get that. They need to try know. something. I mean, the alternative is is trading for John Wall. So I mean, <laughs> right? Is the hellscape? I was talking about. Right, so, that same hellscape. Yeah, so I mean, yes, Simmons. So I'll ask you this: uh, If you the Lakers, would you tr- would would you do that trade? Oh, one hundred percent. Because also, I like, think that's crazy. Simmons, you wouldn't trade Russell Westbrook for for Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, Simmons the last three, time we has, saw he has, Simmons, he has three years left and about a hundred and fifteen million dollars left on his contract. The last time and he we has, saw he's ben come, Simmons now he's play, having back surgery. The last time we saw Simmons play, and it, you know, obviously he wasn't shooting. But, like, physically, he looked fine. Um, he's never played well in the playoffs. So, if you chalk that up to he never plays well in the playoffs, then the last time we saw him play in the regular season, he was an all-star level guy. So, you know, I, why am I to believe that he's Russell Westbrook? But the whole thing got, about Russell Westbrook is, as bad as it is, there's only one year left. So, once that's gone, right. he's a, he's a, like, he's, you don't got to deal with him forever. Like Ben Simmons is a is an ongoing saga that we don't know the conclusion to. It's at least through twenty twenty five at this point in time. And while yes, he is a young player and he he is talented. There's no question about that. He's right now damaged goods, and he's dealing with mental health issues. Like like that also has to be a part of this. Like he couldn't do deal with the pressure cooker of Philly. Somehow this Brooklyn thing is still up in a problem. Now I'm gonna send him to the Lakers, where Russell Westbrook has been basically kind of just like on edge for an entire season, and he can't bring his family to the game because they they call him Westbrook. And I'm gonna send Ben Simmons there. <laughs> I think that that would be crazy. I'll be honest. I think that that would be crazy. The Lakers would be crazy to, to take that trade. You just take John Wall. I think if you're gonna do that. I, I think that, that would be a major risk that I think that would be would be very foolish to take. Even if it means getting rid of Russell Westbrook. It's just too risky. I mean the risk it's hard to say the risk. Look, I mean LeBron's window is short, man. You know, I know. I know we can I talk about we, we want to get out of the one year of Westbrook, but you know, one year from now, like LeBron is gonna be forty, you know. So I don't know. I mean, you're you're right that it is it is a risk. Um, I also feel like a team like OKC or something like that would still take the talent and say, "Look, they've got bad contracts. You know, they still got a lot of well, dead yeah, money." OKC, I mean, that's a little different. But again, like, what are they? They don't have a lot of money in their books. So who who are they sending back? Would be the question. They ain't sending back Jay Gilles Alexander. No way in hell. So I mean, they didn't have to send back anything. 
they just, <laughs> they just take on the contract. Yeah, I see what they're They have like they have like two or three excess. I mean, more than two or three, but they have a bunch of excess draft picks that they could trade if they needed to. Yeah, but you know they have that salary cap room. Ben Simmons, you know, is going to make about thirty-five million dollars next year. That's a that's a big lump of cash for them to have laying around. So. I don't know. I, I, that was a very interesting. I wonder. I'm very curious to see what our listeners think about if the Lakers should trade for Ben Simmons, and would you do it if you were the Lakers? Kendall says he would. I I, I think it would be a disastrous, potentially disastrous decision. Think that real quickly, Kendall, because we are running out of time. I did want to quickly talk about this situation with college sports. It, it the landscape has just drastically changed because of the NIL and the transfer rules right now. There's a one-time transfer rule that was instituted last year for all college athletes where you can enter the transfer portal and transfer wherever you want to go by a certain deadline without having to miss a year like you had to do in previous years. You combine that with this new NIL where players can make money off of their image and likeness, and you're seeing essentially a wild, wild west scenario situation play out. We're seeing an unprecedented number of players switching teams this offseason. And you're seeing players looking at different schools in seek of a bigger payday elsewhere. You had two big examples happen recently in college sports with Miami basketball star Isaiah Wong, his agent threatening that Wong would transfer if his NIL compensation wasn't increased. He later backtracked from that threat. You then had your guy, Jordan Addison, pit wide receiver, Belitnikoff winner for being the top wide receiver in college football. He is right now in the transfer portal because he was apparently actively recruited by USC while still being with Pitt. Your head coach, Pat allegedly. Narduzzi. Yeah, it's all alleged. <laughs> Pat Narduzzi allegedly ripped um, uh, USC head coach Lincoln Riley for what he had viewed as tampering. And a lot of people are now looking at the situation and seeing maybe there needs to be some changes with the NCAA. I know you and I have both been advocates for student athlete compensation. We've both been uh, advocates for freedom of movement for student athletes. But I'll be honest, Kendall, I think something has to be shifted. I think there is somewhere where we can get a happy medium because while I do feel like we you know the, the happiness and the and the and and the, the, the health and everything for the kids, all that is is still the most important thing. But health of these sports is also important and this is a disaster right now for college basketball and college football. And I think if you're saying otherwise, I just don't think you're really paying attention or you don't really understand college basketball and college football. But there is, yes, there is an allegiance to school and school over any individual player, of course. But this kind of radical change with high-profile players just shifting left and right and there's no loyalty, you don't know who's going to stay and who's going to go. And now it's just about, well, you know, where can I get my money from this next NIL deal or give me a better NIL deal or else I'm going to leave. I don't know. I, I think that there's something that has to be changed. I didn't love the Isaiah Wong situation. I know some people have, have lauded him a hero. I think that, that there are aspects to wanting better compensation for what you put out on the court or on the field or in any field of work that I think I can definitely, definitely support. I think the way his agent went about it, which was, you know, you sign a contract and then you say, rip up the contract and give me more money or I'm going to leave a school that allegedly isn't supposed to be associated with the contract you signed with some organization that's, again, quote unquote, not aligned with the school. 
I don't know. There's something about these kids in the NIL situation that I think there should be some lessons also in business and contracts that I don't think should be thrown to the wayside for the sake of them just saying, okay, well, I want to go to a different school. I don't know. But I I, I don't know what the answer is, to be honest. I, I wish I had a better answer. Well, no, I, I'll take that back. I do think I do have an answer. They, I think they need to amend this one-time transfer rule. Because before, it was used for COVID. That's why people were able to transfer freely. But I think the reason why you're seeing the Isaiah Wong situation, the Addison situation play out the way it is, is because there is no downside, really, to transferring. Like, you can get more money, maybe get more playing time, and you don't lose a year of eligibility. Before, if you transferred, you lost a year of eligibility, or you had to make some, you know, some, uh, you know, sisters of the poor case to, to the NCAA as a why that you should be one of the few people that should be allowed to transfer freely without, you know, being able to miss a season. You know, some guys say, oh, I got a, you know, a sick aunt or something like that. And some, uh, sometimes it was legitimate, but other times we've seen it was kind of, you know, stuff that they finagled together in order just to get back on the court or on, on, on the field. I think they got to amend that somehow. I think that they got to amend that. I think it's something there's something that's got to be done in regards to the ties between the NIL deals and the transfer portal. Because that's essentially what's happening. They're combining together to create this monster juggernaut that is now getting a little out of hand. Yeah, I mean, the Isaiah Wong situation was really unfortunate and really weird. It just didn't make any sense. Um, the idea that, and look, obviously what spurred it was Miami just picked up two transfers right. in the transfer portal that subsequently announced NIL deals with uh, said uh, Miami booster. Um, John Ruiz. And they they publicly, Ruiz, uh, announced the terms of the of the NIL deal, which is terrible business. And I mean, that again, was stupid. Yeah. Ruiz knows he knows business, but. The whole point of it was, oh, we're going to do this to attract people to Miami, but not even thinking of the other consequence of Isaiah Wong being like, wait, this guy's getting what? Yeah. This guy from Kansas State, they didn't even make the tournament. Yeah. And then the statement, the, that, the, statement, the statement from the from the from the agent was like, you know, you know, a guy who took his scene to the Elite Eight certainly is, is worth way more than this deal that he's been given, given the money, other money is being given out to Miami players, which was crazy. Yeah, this isn't a super complex situation to, to lay out, but um, it just doesn't make any sense because they're asking for more NIL compensation. But, like, the whole nature of NIL is the free market. You're getting what you're worth. Right. It, it, it's not it, It's not a one-year – it's not a one – Once you sign your deal, your deal is your deal. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's not negotiated with the school. It's not even negotiated with one party necessarily. You can get as many NIL deals as you want. But you got to find people who are willing to give it to you. Right. But that's not the school's fault. It's the school doesn't give you, you know, doesn't. The school can't help you in that regard. Like, that's all on you. That's why you have an agent. The agent's going there saying, I, we want more NIL compensation to do your job. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's, uh, it, it's a weird situation there. I mean, and, and with Jordan Addison, I mean, obviously he's a great player and they they – you know, he's in a spot where he felt or he feels like transferring is what's best for his career. And that's that's fine. 
Um, and in some respect, I think I agree, but it's it, like you said, it, it hurts the game of college football. I know Jordan Addison doesn't care about that. Right. Yeah. But and I don't think he so should. I'm not even I'm not yeah, even mad at him. Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't you blame him. him. You're a Pitt fan, but I'm not. I mean, terms of, I'm not mad at him. Certainly, yeah, yeah. Certainly, as a Miami fan who's seen him lead the ACC, potentially, I'm totally fine with what's going on from that perspective. But, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's he has a right to do what he what, what he felt feels is best for his career. Um, but like you said, I mean, there's, you know, I mean, Zion could leave. If Zion feels like it's best for him to leave the Pelicans. Next year, he can't just rip up the contract and say, right, "I want to exactly. go." I want to go play for the Knicks now. Right. It's, it's best for my career. Yeah. That's you know, people, I mean, that's why I don't understand the people that are like, "Oh, well, you know, this is just what happens in pro sports." I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> this is absolutely no. not what happens in pro sports. You know, what I mean, guys that you know, that's why we have holdouts. That's how we have. Yeah, this is what would happen. Like, this is what would happen in, in pro sports if every deal was a one-year deal. Right. Exactly. Which you is know, the problem with college sports. They need to every be, deal. They need to make those scholarships four-year scholarships. Yeah, um, but then that's hard to it's hard to bind a guy still staying, you know. Um, right. But yeah, it's 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 a one-year deal on both sides, like you said. So the coaches have the right to to end it at any point. We've seen that happen quite a bit. Yep, a lot of people don't in realize. college sports. Yeah. Um, you know, Memphis just had a situation where, you know, Tyler Harris, who was a big player on their team uh, last season, uh, he basically went on Twitter and said Penny told him to go to the portal. Said he, said he didn't have a spot for him. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, people so, don't realize. People were saying, oh, like the portal. Like, that's what I'm trying to say. This whole, this is better for everybody if there are changes. Because people keep, we talking about all oh, the players and they're able to just go wherever they want now. Some of these players are also being sent to the portal by their coaches. They're being cut by their coaches. It's making it easier for them to say, look, you can go somewhere else and play. Get the hell out of here. Like, that, that is not a good environment at all. Like, some, like, you can't look at that and say, okay, well, this is just fine. Like, I think something has to be changed. It's not just the players that now have this kind of free reign to go wherever they want. It gives these coaches free reign to be like, now there's no reason for you not to get out of here if I tell you to leave because you can go play somewhere else and play next year without losing eligibility. Yeah, so I'm not, I don't look like the bad guy. And it gives coaches a more of a reason to find a replacement, you know? I mean, yeah, exactly. Before in March, you had a limited amount of high school recruits even available to bring in to replace a player that you didn't like or to upgrade at a certain spot yep. uh, that you hadn't already upgraded in, in, in the early signing period. Um, now, season ends and the, the it's like the the all season hasn't even started yet you know like the the or your team your team you don't even know what your team's gonna look like at the end of the season yeah um and i mean that's why we i mean we were talking about it off air like people doing way too early top 25s for college basketball is a stupid stupid practice yeah you can't do for, yeah the, the early, way early top 25 in college basketball and i think even in college football now is dead you can't do yeah it. You have to wait yeah. until everything. All College football, you should have a good idea, depending on the quarterback. Yeah, now Jordan Addison won the Blitnikoff Award. Now he's going to be playing for USC, apparently. Like, like yeah, that changes yeah. everything. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we still know, you know, the Bamas and the Ohio State. Like, yeah, they're yeah. one and two. Right. In some order, they're one and two. Because you know that their quarterbacks will be back. And you know that they replenish talent. But, I mean, basketball, it's like, I don't even, I mean, 
again, a lot of a lot of people had Arkansas number one, and Arkansas has done a great job in the portal. But you know, now Creighton after after landing a kid from South Dakota State, Baylor Shireman now is in the mix as a top five team in the country, and had teams that have lost guys that people thought you know we're going to be a top five team. So it, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's a it's a fool's practice right now. But yeah, it's 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 weird. It's a weird time in college sports. Something's going to change uh, because there's too much money involved right now. Uh, and too many people are upset. They're going to do something about it. It's it's just, um, and also the players don't have a union, so that also oh, yeah yeah they don't that that union. that's the one that's the one uh, upside that yeah you know yeah you know they they don't have to sign contracts, but because of that the NCAA can do whatever they want. Right. I will. I do think it is ironic and funny that as soon as you know, you know, you know things get really thick. Uh, Mark uh, Esper or, or whatever his name is, he he, he uh, he uh Emmer, yeah, Emmer, yeah, Mark Esper, I think, is a former secretary, like a defense secretary. Mark Emmer, yes. he he uh, he he heads for the hills. He's like, all right, my watch is done. I'm like, man, now is now we really need to see some real governing, some real decision making, some real leadership. And that guy was like, and that's my ride. Uh, I mean, you can't make it up, man, with the NCAA. But that's going to do it for this edition of New Generation Sports Talk. So happy to have my guy, Kendall, back rocking with me. Of course, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can catch all of our shows on New Generation Podcast Network. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube, New Generation Media. We'll be posting another NBA Draft War Room video very soon. Our Chet and, and Jalen Duran video is up there now. We've gotten some pretty great feedback from that. Our next one, Ben Matherin versus who? Who do we go? Who, who's Ben Matherin? Oh, AJ, uh, AJ Griffin. Griffin. Uh, for a second, I, I blanked out. I was like, wait. Luckily, Kendall's here. He could uh, help me out there. Yeah, ben a bunch Matherin, of wings. Yeah, I know. I was like, uh, it's not Malachi Brandon. It's not Shaden Sharp. I'm like, who is it? It was like in my head. I was like freaking out for that like half second. Yes, Matherin versus Griffin. A very fun discussion that we had. That'll be up in the next couple of days. So make sure you check that out. Again, New Generations Media will find that content. And also be sure to follow us on social media. Twitter, New Generation Pod. Instagram, you can find it New Generation Podcast. And we're on Facebook as well if you search New Generation Media. Find us individually on social media. Kendall's on Twitter, New Gen Ken. You can find me on Twitter at EJ underscore Stewart. And on Instagram, Action EJ. Thank you guys again for rocking with us. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.